You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, presenting interviews with famous, fascinating, influential personalities from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. When they mention me, they usually mention Drysdale, but I was the meaner of the two, just the way I looked on the mound. Well, I'm not so sure that I looked any meaner than Drysdale. Baseball Hall of Fame pitcher Bob Gibson. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. In the 1960s and into the early 70s, one of the most dominant pitchers in the National League was St. Louis Cardinals right-hander Bob Gibson. Over a 17-year career, he racked up 251 wins, over 3,000 strikeouts, two Cy Young Awards, an MVP, nine-time All-Star, and he was one of the stars of the 1967 World Series in which the Cardinals beat the Boston Red Sox. And St. Louis wins 6 to nothing to take a 3-1 to lead in the series. It was all Bob Gibson today as he fired a five-hitter for his second victory over the Red Sox. Now, like any pitcher with his kind of record, Bob Gibson could be rather intimidating on the pitcher's mound. But in his case, it went beyond just being intimidating, and it morphed into kind of a reputation for being mean. Now, in 1994, Gibson wrote a memoir called Stranger to the Game. And that's when I had occasion to meet the man who was anything but mean. So here now, from 1994, Bob Gibson. There's this image, uh, this ogre image that I've projected, I guess, from, from being on the mound. And, and people meet me today, and they still look for the same thing away from the field. Yeah, you know, I, ha- I have to be candid with you. I've, I was and am a Cubs fan. Grew up in a Cubs household. But I honestly, in my household, I never heard mentioned that, that you that you were a mean pitcher i just knew we i hated it when the cubs had to face you but i never heard that you were mean and i i i have to be honest with you i was a little taken aback at how this reputation of yours has, has developed i had never heard you referred to in my household anyway as a mean pitcher a couple of about a month ago i was at a book writers uh, convention in los angeles and i was at the hotel and a guy ran across the lobby of the hotel with his wife behind him he's got her by the hand honey i want to introduce you to this guy this is the meanest man in the world. And he was sincere, and he was happy to see me. That's the very reason why I try to explain some of this stuff. Well, even something like that said in friendship and in admiration does, I guess, kind of great on you after a yeah, while. Yeah, after you get to hearing it for 15 or 20 years. I didn't hear that while I was playing. And since the, yeah, I haven't played ball in 20, 20 years, I guess, and... Uh, since then, I've heard all of these these wild, wild stories about me and what have you. And so I said, okay, let's just do something here about that. Well, you've, uh, I, like I said, I, I used to hate it when the Cubs had to face you or Gaylord Perry or Don Drysdale because uh, it was just going to be a bad day for the Cubs. I As a Cub fan, you probably just hated everybody. Well, yeah, just we're, we're kind of a, we're kind of masochists, you know, in that regard. <laughs> just it, no day was a really good day, but uh, golly, you were great out there. It just and, and it's fun to read. To see what it was actually like. To see, yes, it was. It was there. Were, there, were, there are fun parts, but there are a lot of parts to the game that, as you experienced it, that weren't so much fun. Yeah, I think just about uh, every black man that that played the game back in those days, or even before me, of course, uh, experienced the same thing that I did. And if you read the biography of most of the the players of that day, uh, there will be a lot of similarity in in their life. Was was your reputation for being mean also because you were black? Oh, I'm sure. Uh, quite a bit of it. 
Drysdale, uh, in my opinion, of course, they, they mentioned Drysdale. When they mention me, they usually mention Drysdale. But I was the meaner of the two, just the way I looked on the mound. Well, I'm not so sure that I looked any meaner than Drysdale. And in fact, uh, he hit me in the back one time for no apparent reason. Uh, but those things happen. Is it a significantly different game today than when you were playing? Oh, yeah, it is. Uh, the, the, physically, the game is different as far as the pitcher is concerned. It seems to me every time they decide they want to change the game a little bit, they aim everything at the pitcher, try to take away his effectiveness. And they lowered the mound, of course, when I was pitching by five inches, and they made the strike zone smaller. And, and then they decided they wouldn't let pitchers pitch inside. They would kick you out of the game and kick the manager out of the game. And it's just uh, it's kind of ridiculous. What's the point in not letting you pitch inside? Uh, I don't know. Um, other than taking that, some of the... That's just one of your tools. Yeah, it? other than taking the effectiveness away from the pitcher, I'm, I'm not sure what it's all about. Uh, and in order to get a hitter out, you have to pitch inside mm -hmm. because the average hitter likes to get his arms out and the balls away are the ones that he really feasts on. And, and the reason for pitching inside, you, you make him think about inside and not think about outside. He, you can't think of two things at once. You have to really, if you're going to guess, you have to guess inside or outside. You can't guess inside, maybe outside. And so they take away the inside. Everybody leans over the plate. I see guys charging them out with curveballs that hang. <laughs> you almost become a batting practice pitcher at that point. Yeah, I, I guess if I played today, I'd probably fight a lot. It, well, which I didn't mind doing either. It, it's, it, it's. I, I think you allude to this in the book that it's, it's kind of a, it's a kind of a softer game now. It's not as gritty. Well, the, the reason the game is softer, and I, I don't, I don't, I don't think that has anything to do with the the players not having that much ability or, or not caring for the game. But yeah, with, with the advent of the the multi year contract, guys are a little leery of, of, you know, diving in and going out and getting hurt. They have a five-year contract. They want to make sure they play for five years. And uh, I think that also takes away from uh, the tenacity. You, you, you play for one year, irregardless of whether you make five or six or seven million dollars a year, if you played for only one year and if you didn't have a good year, the next year instead of making five, you'd make three, I think you see a little different game. And to, to think you have the highest paid team in baseball, and the total on the on this is what six hundred and seven thousand dollars. Well, so it says there. <laughs> they uh, they had the wrong figure for me. I was making a little bit more, but it, it was close. It was it's still nowhere near a million dollars. And as you say on the, on the caption, the, the money today would buy one utility infielder. So yeah, make, they they made uh, one player will make more money in one year than than probably our whole team did in uh, five years. But you're not one of those, I take it, who holds a grudge against the players today who can get $5 million a season, are you? Oh, no, I would I'd love to do that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, you know I, I believe that a guy that complains about what people are making today, a guy that, that played 25 years ago, he, he probably needs to see a psychiatrist and get some help. You, you can't be concerned about what's going on today when you're 50, 60, and 70 years old. There are lots of stories uh, in your book from uh, anecdotes from other players who had to face you and were terrified by that prospect. Who, as a batter, did you have to face that you hated to see that, to come up to the plate? Uh, who who oh. just terrified you? <laughs> there was nobody that terrified me. There was a bunch of guys I hated to see come to the plate, <laughs> especially when uh, uh, you had men in scoring position. Oh, I mean, any number of guys. Uh, uh, 
Pittsburgh Pirates had a whole host of guys that, that you didn't want to see come to the plate, but nonetheless, you had to deal with Especially it. if you're working on a no-hitter. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the, the guy that, that gave me the most trouble was a little left-hander uh, with no name that took a lot of pitches, didn't swing a lot. You know, if the ball was two inches outside, he wouldn't swing at it. And the count was three and two all the time. You didn't want to walk him, so you laid it in there and you let him hit it. And he got a base hit. That that guy gave me a lot of trouble, and there were a lot of those. You were a switch hitter initially, weren't you? Yeah, I was um, in college. Then when I got into uh, pro ball, they had these silly ideas. You know, when I came in, they had a lot of silly ideas. And one was that if a pitcher happens to be right-handed, he shouldn't hit on the left-hand side because his right arm is facing the pitcher, and there was a chance he could get hit in it. But what they didn't take into consideration, usually when you duck away from a pitcher, you, you move this way, and it's your left arm that would be exposed. So you get on the right side, you duck away, and your right arm is exposed. So they just didn't think about that clearly. After this short break, Bob Gibson talks about a former teammate who changed baseball forever, but who has now been all but forgotten. Now back to my 1994 conversation with Bob Gibson. Why did you turn out to be a professional baseball player instead of a, a Harlem Globetrotter or, an, or get in the NBA? Well, there, uh, there's a couple reasons. Um, I, I never really got the chance to, to play in the NBA. I would rather have tried to do that. In fact, at the time, the Lakers were in Minneapolis, and they, they did send me a questionnaire. I filled it out. I just never heard from them. And the second one is that <clears throat> there were... 25 guys on a baseball team and only 9 or 10 on a basketball team, so you get a good, pretty good chance. Ten pitchers also. When did you realize that you were a really good pitcher? Oh, pretty much after I was through playing. <laughs> 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 you know, when you're, when you're young, you, I, I threw hard. I could throw the ball through a brick wall if I could find the wall. Um, I, I, I thought that I had... Uh, the talent, but coming, uh, getting, putting it all together, uh, you just don't realize that until uh, you get pretty far into your career. The first two years, I was in the bullpen and I didn't pitch very much at all, and I, I really didn't become a pitcher until about '63, and I started in '50, starting the minor leagues in '57. Well, there's a distinction be between what you're born with and what you develop through experience and hard work and practice, isn't there? Oh, I think a lot of guys are born with, with the talent. Um, the desire to, to be a, a success at what you're doing is an important thing. Some people have more desire than others. There's some guys with a heck of a lot more talent that don't make it than guys that do make it. Pete Rose, for instance. <laughs> there's a guy that I, I really didn't think that much of Pete Rose when I was facing him. And then all of a sudden he's playing for five years and then 10 years and then 15 years and then 20 years and he keeps getting 200 hits. And all of a sudden you say, hey, now there's a guy who took uh, the minimum amount of talent and turned out to be one of the best baseball players ever. Have we uh, throw, used him up and thrown him away? Oh, I don't know. I think he may have had a little bit to do with that. Uh, yes, uh, I don't know. We can open up a can of worms with him, but I think it's unfair that we exclude him from the Hall of Fame just because of I mean, he was. You can't separate the fact that he was a great ball player. Absolutely not. And I don't think anybody's arguing that question. Uh, if it had been me, I they probably would have done the same thing. You would never have heard from me again. Well, I, but that's almost one of the points you make in the book, isn't it? We haven't really heard from you again, and uh, not not for certainly for gambling, but I made a couple you, appearances here and there. But I mean, but I mean, you've been 
have, have you been ignored? Not really. I um, I coached in uh, for four years. I did some broadcasting for about six, seven, or eight years. But you know, the broadcasting business once you get out is very difficult to get back in because what they're looking for uh, names and and they're looking for fresh new names. And if you happen not to be one of the tops in the broadcasting field, which I certainly wasn't, then it's, it's tough to get back in. But where is where's Kurt Flood? Where's Lou Brock? I know where both of them are. <laughs> <laughs> one's in St. Louis and Chicago, and the other one's in Los Angeles, and neither <laughs> doing anything. You know, it's uh, uh, there's no doubt that we're, we're talking uh, a little bit racism here. I think it's more institutionalized than anything else. It's it's not blatant, uh, which makes it nicer to me. I. I, I hate the blatant stuff. But it still doesn't make it any easier to take. Oh, no, it doesn't. But uh, you, you talk about in the book about what a, a debt today's players really owe Kurt Flood and how little he's getting back from them. Well, most of the young players today have no idea who Kurt Flood is, period. Um, and, and I think it's, it's a catastrophe that Kurt Flood's not working for the Baseball Players Association. No, well, as you say in the book, he is the Players Association, or he made the Players Association. Boy, he sure helped. I remember that our household was in an uproar, and we weren't even Cardinals fans, as I said. It was just, uh, we, we had no idea. My dad and I were trying to figure out what's going to become of, of baseball when you can't buy and sell and trade players the way you always used to anymore. Well, they're having their hands full right now. Uh, you had you had uh, an interesting experience with the, was it the first strike that you were that, that you were involved in? That yeah, I, um, I had been negotiating with uh, Anheuser-Busch for a... Budweiser distributorship. Now, whether or not that that would have ever developed, I I, I don't know. Uh, but at least they were talking to me. And uh, after we had that strike in '69, um, I'm still negotiating with them. So uh, I I figured that that's all over with too because there's a there was a Budweiser distributorship in Omaha that I knew about. In fact, I used to work about uh, work for them, and then they told me if it ever became available that they'd let me know well, it was just sold on recently so that's that does it sadden you to, to see that what has happened this year where no world series first time since 1903 this has happened well you know i was involved with two strikes when i was playing and um yes it, it is sad it's a sad thing but we very well could have uh stayed out as long as these guys we were lucky that we worked a deal out um, I hate to see that there's no baseball, and I really do think that they probably could, uh, could come to an agreement one way or another, but uh, I guess I can't really criticize because I was in that same position. Is it going to break the union? No. They're going to do away with the antitrust. Will there be a new league next year? I don't think there will be a new league, but certainly um, I believe that the, the players are capable of starting a new league. Uh, really, who needs an owner? What do you need an owner for? They 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 can't hit, they can't pitch. <laughs> uh, they do have the money, but I think with the money that these players have today, they could probably finance this thing themselves. Uh, for one thing, if you um, if you run your own league, you know what's coming in, you know what's going out, and then a salary cap would make more sense. In the final analysis, are you glad you wrote the book? No, I'm not, because I have to do this tour, and they keep asking me these <laughs> questions over and over again. But, uh, yeah, I am. Um, it, it, it does explain a little bit about my demeanor, and hopefully when someone reads this book, they'll have a little different outlook on, on me and my persona. Well, it adds a third dimension to you. When, uh, that, it, after all the years, you, you do have to put up with a lot of crap that's written about you that isn't true. Yeah, I was, uh, I was really hurt 
uh, when this guy ran across this hotel and, and introduced his wife to me, I just, uh, I don't know if he meant to, to compliment me or what, but it certainly wasn't a compliment. Bob Gibson died last year at age 84. And you can find easy Amazon links to Bob Gibson's book at our website, HeardEverything.com. Oh, and while you're at HeardEverything.com, listen to my interview with one of the pitchers who faced Bob Gibson in the 68 World Series, Denny McLean. You've got to have everything in place every time you go out there to win 30. You've got to be lucky. You've got to get all the breaks. They've got to score runs for you early. All of those things will make you have a good year. And my conversation with Hank Aaron. I started my baseball career in 1953 in the Negro American League. I made $200 a month. I got $2 a day for meal money. And, of course, we post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find Now I've Heard Everything on all major podcast platforms. And thank you so much for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, a conversation about the power of the poet with author poetry advocate and presidential daughter caroline kennedy that's one of the things about poems that is so special they're short they're intense they travel easily people tend to think of poetry as being like an old-fashioned little obscure weird pastime that's next time on now i've heard everything i'm bill thompson 